They clone Tyrone and call him Barbie, and we're off to the secret kingdom where my name is Alfred Hitchcock. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. Hello and welcome back to the show. Uh, so, a load of new movies to talk about with Van today. Um, I, actually, I have to be honest, I'm really excited about today's because I've been doing a little bit of research like I do before we, we do our recording. And every single movie today, mm. on paper, I will hasten to add, looks <laughs> really, really good the only one that i couldn't get a lot on was the first movie we're going to talk about which is my name is alfred hitchcock um all it said online is documentary plot under wraps so tell me all about it well i shall unwrap a sad plot for you then mr ball and you know you are right on paper everything this week does in fact sound good um however you know we do live in a world in which as you know you know, that doesn't always mean everything. How many movies suck that had the name Assassin in the title, as we famously pointed out? Um, but True. on to My Name is Alfred Hitchcock. This is the new documentary from Mark Cousins. So it's written and directed by Mark Cousins. Uh, it's got the voice talent of Alistair McGowan. It's Alistair McGowan doing his impression of Alfred Hitchcock in a retrospective documentary from the perspective of Alfred Hitchcock. So basically, the the documentary assumes the idea of Alfred Hitchcock is alive and well in 2023, and he is talking to an interviewer for a 2023 audience and affording a perspective in 2023 of his body of work to date. I've got a clip for you. Have a listen. This is My Name is Alfred Hitchcock, narrated in the guise of Alfred Hitchcock. And how would you like us to look at your films in the 21st century, Alfred? I'd like you to look at Janet in that lonely, remote shower and see yourself in her, her hope, your vulnerability. You certainly wanted us to look at faces and desire, didn't you? Do you know, the first thing I thought of when I just heard that clip is Hugh Grant in the movie where he plays the London gangster. What's it called? I uh, can't remember now. <laughs> uh, uh, the Gentleman. The yes. Gentleman. Doesn't he sound oh, go like, on. Yeah, go he on, sounds Ray. like him, doesn't go he? On. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Petty plays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, understandable. Very understandable. I mean, I it took takes it takes a minute to get used to Alistair McGowan doing the uh, the Hitchcock impersonation because you once you know it's Alistair McGowan, it's hard to get that out of your head. And obviously, his name's up front and center on the movie, so you know what the crack is. And it, has, it does lead to a bit of that Dead Ringers effect, a little bit of that Peter Serafinowicz playing Michael Caine kind of an effect. But the documentary is fascinating. And uh, even, to be honest, even outside of the impersonation, had they just gotten someone to just play Hitchcock and not necessarily do a voice, the film would still have been as fascinating as it is. I would argue, obviously, this is one that you know Hitchcock fans are going to get an extra level of enjoyment out of. That you know newcomers to the to the Hitchcock sort of you know filmography are in no way going to appreciate. You have to know. I think you have to know the Hitchcock filmography. You have to know about, you know, The Birds and Marnie and Psycho and Rear Window and Strange Not You have to know all these things to really appreciate what he's going for. But the context that it's all put in is, is quite insightful. It's quite illuminating. It's nothing revelatory. We've seen this kind of thing. It, it, it's not really a new take on Hitchcock. I mean, even as far as it's applied to a 21st century audience, there's nothing especially cutting edge that we get out of that it has to be said there's nothing that you wouldn't have get from gotten from doing this in the 80s for instance or 90s 
But it is a fascinating time. The, the McGowan impression, once you've settled into it, does work. And it is, like I say, a fascinating, well-written and insightful look from Mark Cousins. Very much a Mark Cousins movie. I mean, if anyone's going to churn out quite a decent film retrospective in this day and age, it is Mark Cousins, who incidentally is having a bit of a crappy time of it this week, getting this into cinemas, given that he's up against the likes of Barbie and Oppenheimer. So apparently in London, like, this is getting quite difficult to see. But, oh, sorry, it wasn't, it was Glasgow or Edinburgh, it was, it was near impossible to see. Um, which is a shame. So it's out uh, today. It's uh, the new one from Dogwolf. So it's Dogwolf documentary. You know, we, we we have a love of Dogwolf on this show, and it goes for me that goes back to Blackfish in like 2012, 2013. They are the documentary label. That's who you go to for a cracking dog. And uh, yeah, this one keeps the standard up high. Big fan. Yeah, my name is Alfred Hitchcock. In cinemas from today. It is quite niche, as you said. Like you, you have to know quite a lot about Alfred Hitchcock. But for somebody myself, doesn't know a huge amount. But I love movies. Am I going to enjoy this at all? Is it still worth watching? Yeah, yeah, I think, to be honest, you'll come away with a watch list. You'll come away from this with, like, the notes app on your phone with just a list of Hitchcock. It's like, right, okay, now I need to make sure that I check out the birds. And I definitely want to... Yeah, you're going to come away with that watch list sort of nicely filled out of Hitchcockian chillers. You definitely want you definitely want to go and see Marnie, for instance. Like that. You're going to come away with that watch list. There's a lot in there that you'll be like, oh, I didn't know that this person was in... Hitchcock, it, it, you get reminded of a lot of things that you might have forgotten. To be honest, the stuff in there that I'd forgotten. Because I think we are coming up on a century. I think it's a century wow. since the first Hitchcock movie. I think it's coming up to a century or seventy-five years since the first Hitchcock movie, which was a relatively low-budget kind of little scene affair. But yeah, we're going to get into a century of Hitchcock now. So time times are ticking by. Well, if you want to see it and make your own mind up, uh, my name is Alfred Hitchcock. Is out in cinemas from today. Uh, still to come. Then. You just did it as well. <laughs> what did I, I just do? Point out, every time someone does it, every time someone does it, my name is up. They always do it as if they're doing that. My name. <laughs> My <laughs> name is you're Alfred third, Hitchcock. Yeah, you're the third <laughs> presenter this week that I've heard do it to me. My name is Alfred Hitchcock. If you want to go and see it, it is out in cinemas from today. Uh, right, we've got The Secret Kingdom to look at in a moment. Of course, we're going to talk about Barbie and They Cloned Tyrone. All on the way, so stay right where you are. Hello and welcome back to the show then. Let's crack straight on with Secret Kingdom, which is out in cinemas from today. So what was it like, Van? Tell me all about it. Uh, So this is very much, this is something in the vein of like the never ending story. If you can believe that. So something's like a, a proper 80s style fantasy romp that actually, you know, is aimed at and stars actual children. You know, like, uh, I think they're like Nick. 12 and 7 or 8 or something like that. So you've got, I think it's Peter and I want to say Verity. Let me just check if I've got that right. Peter and Verity are the, the two siblings who go off on the magical adventure, find themselves uh, in a, you know, an enchanted kingdom with like talking rodents and who, who incidentally are brought to life with bizarrely good visual effects, which I will explain in a moment, but really like startlingly high-end visual effects like talking mice and talking rodents and talking turtles and they set out on an adventure to unite the various pieces of this golden block that'll give them a treasure MacGuffin key that'll transport them home it, it, it like I say it's a standard never-ending story 
type fantasy adventure. Um, it's from writer-director Matt Drummond. I'll get to all of that in a moment, but have a listen. This is a clip. This is them flying onto a mystical island on the back of a dragon. Uh, along for the ride are, I think, two moles and a two-headed turtle, just to put this in context for you. I don't like this. Oh, try living with him. I mean flying. Upon thy wing a king doth ride. A perilous flight to mountain spy. Can you stop that? Peril is not a word one wants to hear at great heights. Statistically speaking, flying is the safest form of transport. Miss Verity, Peter, she must not sleep. Verity, wake up! We need time. Verity, you have to stay awake. Peter, your, your compass. I'm sure I read online that this was Australian, but that's clearly not Australian. Or is the production company Australian? Or have I completely read about the wrong movie? I think the production. Co- I, think, I think the production company may be maybe right. Australian. Okay. Uh, it, it's. I mean, it seems to be. It seems to be set in like Toronto or something because there is a half-hearted attempt to crowbar in that the kids also speak French <laughs> because their mum occasionally drops a single line of dialogue in French, which I, I'm not sure if that's to open it up to more international appeal, but uh, to be honest with you, who cares? Um, this is a movie that, I mean, I think this was this is distributed by uh, Saban, who are the company that make the Power Rangers uh, franchise. You, you, I mean, you'll see the Saban logo on bloody everything. Yeah. Um, I think the actual wider distribution is by Paramount, though. So how it wound up in my lap, I've absolutely no idea, obviously. Um, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I got sent this by the Americans. I got sent this by the American Paramount, not the bad British one. Anyway, um, <laughs> the ones with the personality. Anyway, um, so it's a written and directed by Matt Drummond, who is a visual facts guy. And uh, previous to this had worked on, I think it was two films called My Pet Dinosaur and Dinosaur Island. So has something of a background in bringing dinosaurs to life. So obviously dinosaurs have to appear here. It's an interesting note, though, that the dinosaurs are the worst visual effect in the entire movie. The rest of they're not awful, they're fine. But the rest of it is like top-tier, five-star, $250 million budget grade visual effects. Like, really, really startlingly good visual effects. I was absolutely blown away by them. And I was thinking, like... Why does this film have this calibre of visual... And that was before I, before I discovered who Matt Drummond was. I'm like, oh, okay, it all makes sense now. Now, I know that they're constantly trying to get a remake of The NeverEnding Story off the ground. And I would like to put Matt Drummond forward for that. I think he'd be very good for this. Um, he also does have a decent enough eye with, with casting and handling actors, as in his child actors here neatly avoid that trap that so many child actors in these kind of productions fall into, where they just become nauseating, annoying, and or drippy simultaneously. See uh, the recent remake of The Secret Garden, for example. You know when you get the uh, the token, ah, drama school child? You know those? Yeah. Like, none of that here. No, none of that. These kids can act. It's all good. I was going to say, that's kind of, um, just as you did that impression, it reminds me of Emma Watson in the very first Harry Potter <laughs> 
Yes, exactly yeah. that. that Emily, in fact, all of them. All of them in the first Harry Potter. Yeah. If we're really honest, it's, it's not until like the third Harry Potter that those kids are any good. The first two, they are bloody awful. It has to be said. Thank God for Chris Columbus basically knowing how to handle them. But uh, particularly Rupert Grint has to be said. But I think Rupert Grint is the worst. I'd agree, even though he gets the best gags. But uh, say, I mean, you bring the almighty HP into this. This is the kind of thing that you would maybe pitch to. Say a six or seven year old child who had recently discovered and finished all the Harry Potter movies and now wanted something else that was similar. It has the feel of something a lot like, uh, not the Mortal Instruments, was it City of Ember? I think it might have been City of Ember in 2008. When we started getting all the post Harry Potter cash ins at the end of the 2000s, we had a, a bunch of these that, that started to come out. Um, I'm sure the Mortal Instruments. Mortal Fantastic I'll, Beast I'll, I'll was a bit later, wasn't it? Was. Fantastic Beast was way late. That's the actual Harry Potter prequel sequel series that's absolutely terrible. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Um, the, yeah. <laughs> oh, they're awful. They are. Ch- I'm sorry. Anyone who tells you that they genuinely enjoy the Fantastic Beast series is a liar. That's, that's the reality of that. They are. They are fan drunk. Is what that is. They are liars and and or fan. Drunk. I enjoyed the first Nobody ten minutes. Actually that was about enjoys. it. Yeah. Yeah. The only per- the only people who enjoy the Fantastic Beast series without actually lying about it are J.K. Rowling and J.K. Rowling's accountant. Those are the only people on Earth who genuinely enjoy the Harry Potter movies. This, uh, the, the Fantastic Beast movies, this is a way better movie than any of the Fantastic Beast movies. It's not quite up to Harry Potter grades, I say, because it's not got the writing. But... This has got a lot more going for it. And it's, I think, just a solid enough, like, three-star A to B adventure fantasy romp. Like I say, starring and aimed at children that I think fills that niche that we have now for something like a never-ending story because we just don't make movies like that anymore. And, you know, here you go. Here's one like it. So nicely filling a void. Also, how rare is it that we get to slap a PG badge on on something anymore? Yeah, it was sold for me. I mean, this sounds great. And this is, sounds like the sort of movie I could sit down with my four-year-old son and watch and he would be drawn into it and enjoy it as well. So, uh, love that. If you want to make your own mind up. Yeah, I mean, he's got talking two-headed turtle. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. You're going to love that alone. Talking two-headed turtle. Yeah. Exactly that. Um, sounds just the kind of thing a four-year-old would enjoy. But um, if you want to watch it, it's out in cinemas <laughs> from today. Right, we're back in a moment. Um, I'd probably say the next one's the biggie for this week. We're going to talk about the new Barbie movie. Lots to talk about with that one, and we'll see what Van thought in just a second. Stay where you are. Hello and welcome back to the show. Um, we've got Cloned, Ty- Cloned, sorry, Cloned, Cloned Tyrone. Just renaming the movie here. Uh, cloned, they cloned Tyrone to talk about in just a minute. But right now, it's the biggie of the week. Let's talk Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, lots of pinkness, Dua Lipa, and the biggest movie of the week, Barbie. I mean, it is, isn't it? You can't move for Barbie this week unless you're uh, J. Robert, you know, Robert J. Oppenheimer, obviously. Uh, so. Greta Gerwig's Barbie is finally here. You can brush my hair, undress me everywhere. Barbie is finally here. So, uh, Margot Robbie, as we all know, plays Barbie. Ryan Gosling plays Ken. The movie's directed by Greta Gerwig. It's written by Greta Gerwig and real-life partner, uh, co-written with real-life partner Noah Baumbach. And the plot of this imagines a world, Barbie world, as an actual world in which Barbie and her friends live. And... 
all of the ladies are other Barbies, and then there's like Midge and a couple of other characters that you've heard of from. You know, there's, a, there's a pregnant Barbie named Midge, for instance, who's there, um, who's played by Emerald Fennell of all people, who wrote and directed, uh, who directed uh, Promising Young Woman. Which blew my mind when I realised that. And then you've got all the Kens, who are all different kinds of Kens, uh, played by people like, uh, you know, say you've got Gosling, you've also got Kingsley Benadir, uh, Nikuti Gatwa, Simu Liu, and one other one who's not quite Ken, he's Alan, Ken's friend, who's just designed to be a sort of platonic... That would be me. Yeah, yeah. And he's played by Michael Sarah, <laughs> and he's kind of the duff of the, of the group, kind of the dim loser type, so not you at all, my friend. Anyway, so, <laughs> the idea Thanks. is the Barbies that live in Barbie world are sort of tethered to the real world. So in the real world, there's a little girl playing with a Barbie doll, and how she interacts with that Barbie doll affects our Barbie in the Barbie world. So it's kind of like being in Toy Story's spirit realm, if you can imagine such a thing. And the idea is that our main Barbie, whose official name, I believe, is Stereotypical Barbie, like she's literally stereotypical, she's the basic Barbie model, so her name is Stereotypical Barbie. Uh, she's Margot Robbie. Right. One day, her arched, heeled feet start to flatten. She can't float as elegantly off of the you know, roof of her beach home as she does every morning. And she finds herself having lingering and unflinching thoughts about the mortal coil and what happens when you die. Which, of course, just doesn't quite gel with the sort of bleach-blonde socialist utopia that is Barbie world. So, in order to, you know, basically solve all this, she uh, she goes to, to see Weird Barbie, played by Kate McKinnon, who in the real world was a Barbie who was played with too much and has gone nuts, and now does the splits and lives in a weird house, as we're told. <laughs> sorry, yeah. sorry, this is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. The way, this, just you explaining it, it's well, hilarious. Wait for it, because this gets more absurd. And I'm, not, I, and this is, I'm avoiding spoilers. <laughs> I'm avoiding spoilers when I do this. So... The idea is that Weird Barbie then tells me you have to go into the real world and find the little girl who's playing with your Barbie doll and find out what's going on, get her to stop, fix her, so that you can be normal. So she goes along to the real world, taking Ken in, inadvertently along for the ride. He sort of stows away, because all he wants in life is to impress her, you know. As we're told at the beginning, for Barbie, every day is the best day of her life. For Ken, it's only when, you know, it's when Barbie's having a good day that he has a good day. Um... When they reach the real world, however, they very quickly discover that, you know, life is not like that. And Barbie gets, you know, sexually harassed and objectified and treated like, I don't know, a woman in the real world? And of course, yeah. Mm. So, whilst she is going on this little quest to, you know, try and solve the mystery of what's going on with her, Ken is left to his own devices for five minutes. And given that, again, this is the real world, what do you think Ken very quickly discovers? Well... Ken... Gambling? Ah, amongst other things. Ken discovers a little thing called the patriarchy. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you see where that's... You see where it's good. So, uh, when, they, when they then return to Barbie land, or Barbie world, and they take with them their various solutions to their problems, you can see the exact, the exact new problem this is going to create. I've got a clip for you. Have a listen. This is, as I say... Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Oh, looks like this beach was a little too much beach for you, Ken. If I wasn't severely injured, I would beat you off right now, Ken. I'll beat you off with you any day, Ken. Hold my ice cream, Ken. All right, Ken, you're on. Let's beat you off. 
Anyone who wants to beach him off has to beach me off first. I will beach both of you off at the same time. But you don't even know how to beach yourself off. How are you going to beach oh, both of us off? It doesn't make sense. Can? You can you even beach yourself off. You're going to beach Come both on, of us off. Beach. Nobody's going to beach anyone off. Oh, my God. I want to see this now. I want to see it yesterday. This is absolutely yeah. brilliant. Um, I've mentioned this to you before. I know that Dua Lipa was meant to be in this. Was she any good? Uh, she doesn't have that big a role. She, I mean, obviously she provides the, the theme song on the soundtrack, which I think is Dance the Night Away. Yeah. And she plays all the mermaids. Um, there is a really good gag. I think it's, it, it was widely known. The casting in this movie has kind of widely been known. So there is a point in which we do discover a, a male uh, merman as well that goes alongside the Dua Lipa. So you have Dua Lipa as all the mermaids, and you have John Cena as all the mermen. And it's just it's a brilliant visual gag. There's a lot in here that I really, really loved. I don't think the film is quite as revelatory as I want it to be. It's not quite as subversive as as you you know as as you as it could be. But I think it's a very solid three and a half to four star job regardless. What you've got is a movie that kind of plays like Robert Altman's Popeye from 90... Do you remember, remember Popeye from 1980? The, the yeah. Robin Williams live action Popeye? Yeah, I loved it. This is kind of like that meets Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. If you can imagine those two things, like, overlapped, that's sort of what you have here. Now, the absolute undeniable star of this is Ryan Gosling as Ken. He's absolutely brilliant. He's having a ball. And hats off to him. I, 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 I've, all, I've kind of always been a fan of Gosling and comedies anyway. Anyone who's seen The Nice Guys knows that Gosling can do comedy. And also, what's the uh, crazy, stupid love, I think it is, with Emma Stone? Uh, he, he does comedy very well. And he's, he, his kind of natural stiffness allows him to be an, an just effortlessly funny person. Um, and he does he does kind of walk away with it here. So much so that I found myself at times feeling like they were curtailing the Barbie plot a bit too much in favour of Ken, which is a shame for you know, a movie that's literally called Barbie. I don't feel like her story kind of has the presence that Ken's is afforded. And all the, the really good gags, for instance, do seem to go to the Ken plot rather than Barbie's attempts to resolve the Ken plot. And I will say, like I say, without getting into the spoilers of what Gosling, Gosling's Ken does to Barbie world, there are some gags in this that you are going to be quoting for years to come. Abs- just an absolute blast. Had a great time with it. Like I say, three and a half to four stars. I think, you know, if you if you make a night of it and you're on the sugary cocktails and, you know, you, you're having like a gang outing to go and see this. I'm saying gangs, I'm not being gender specific because I actually think this is as good a guy's night movie as it is a girl's night movie. Like, there's no gender assumption in this whatsoever. Um, I mean, the gag from our clip alone about... Ken's job is literally beach. Yeah. Like his job written down is the word beach. He's not a lifeguard or a scrubber. He's just beach. So, I mean, I kind of love that. I will beach you off. Gag over and it never gets old either. I also, I mean, there's so many great cast members in here as well. I mean, uh, Simu Liu, I, I particularly like, is the sort of nasty Ken. Um, I think Kingsley Benadir has got real presence in there. Uh, Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon just having a ball as Weird Barbie. I mean, Weird, we, weird Barbie. Barbie. I mean, if, they, if that not Weird Barbie, she is Weird Barbie, and she's brilliant. There's a great moment as well in which it's in the trailer in which she's off. They do a red pill, blue pill bit, which says you can have the nice pink high heels. Sure, you can have this Birkenstock, and you're, you're you're just trying not to absolutely fall out of your chair laughing about the sort of you know the the gender connotations of you know the, the sexual preference connotations of what they are saying in that moment. But there's a lot of that to it. 
Um, I think it's, for my money, my favourite Greta Gerwig movie, hands down. Like, it really is. And I say that as someone who really likes Lady Bird. It's my favourite Gerwig movie. My, in fact, it's my favourite Baumbach movie as well, if I'm being really honest. I'm not a Noah Baumbach guy. So, yeah. If you're going to see anything this weekend, obviously I haven't seen Oppenheimer, and I probably won't get to until this weekend. Um, do see it. I think it's really worth a watch. One question, going through all of these different Barbies that you've mentioned, and I've forgotten half of them because there's so many of yeah. them, I would like to know, is there a plus-sized Barbie, or is that too much against the grain? Yes. Good. No, no, there is. Good, 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 good. There, there, absolutely, there absolutely is, and, oh, God, what's the na- name of the actress? Oh, God, hang on, I'm pulling the IMDb profile here. I'm trying to remember the name of the actress in here. It is Sharon Rooney, who also plays Barbie, and she's from uh, My Mad Fat Diary. Right, yes. You know, the actress from My yes. Mad Fat Diary. Always on the poster. She, she is Barbie in this as well. They don't have a silent, it's not like scientist Barbie, mum Barbie. They don't have, like, prefix names. They, they are just genuinely referred to as Barbie. That's got to be it. And I love that about it. I mean, the script for it. The script must have been a bloody nightmare to read for the actors. That's all I can say. Yeah, especially when it just says Barbie, Barbie, Barbie. <laughs> you imagine trying to pick your lines. You imagine trying to pick your lines out. Of it. Yeah. Oh, what a nightmare. It sounds like a lot of fun. And I actually thought Barbie broke my computer this afternoon when I was doing a bit of Googling. Because if you Google Barbie movie, everything goes pink. I couldn't get rid of it. <laughs> whatever you do don't type that into Pornhub movie Pornhub search algorithm <laughs> I definitely won't don't you worry well if you want to go and see it it is in cinemas from today Barbie the movie um, we're going to talk about the final movie on off screen next They Cloned Tyrone it's a Jamie Foxx and Kiefer Sutherland movie and we'll see what Van thought about that in a second Hello and welcome back for one last ride then. Uh, one movie remaining to talk about, and that is They Cloned Tyrone. As I mentioned a moment ago, it's got Jamie Foxx, Kiefer Sutherland in. Uh, what's it all about then, Van? Talk to me. So this is the feature debut from Jewel Taylor, and this stars um, John Boyega, stars Jamie Foxx, and Tayona Paris. Now, Tayona Paris, if you're not familiar with it, she is a photon in the Marvel Universe at the moment. She's uh, she starred in WandaVision and is uh, part of the trio of the upcoming The Marvels uh, movie. Um, she, so, this basically takes the form of a contemporary set black exploitation spoof, in fact, or satire, not really a spoof, more of a satire, in which you have a pimp played by Jamie Foxx, and a low-level street dealer, played by John Boyega. Uh, you also have <clears throat> you also have the, the pro herself, played by Tayona Paris, and they all come together when they inadvertently stumble across a conspiracy to, in their uh, low-income African-American community that basically is exposing all of the residents to a chemical that makes them pliant and subdued, but also controllable and easy to manipulate into basically keeping the quote-unquote criminal element of the black community stereotypically in force. Yes, so that the white power structure can exploit them effectively. So this basically is invasion of the body snatchers, meat sort of black dynamite and the chemicals that they're using to subdue the populace are for instance put into fried chicken put into hair products and put into grape soda so this is the level of satire we're working on (laughs) here i've got a clip for you have have a listen this is boyega and fox in they clone tyrone 
keep your pimp hand raised, and be willing to protect the ones you love by any means necessary. I'm a dope boy, remember? Excuse me, kind sir, but if you could pull me to the elevator that leads down to the Fiki Laboratory, I'll be out your atmosphere. Let's get man. So essentially then, from what you said, it sounds like that this movie is kind of mocking the racism that we have in society every day anyway. Well, that's it. It's kind of putting a, it's kind of, uh, putting a, a mirror up to the absolute absurdist side yeah. more than anything. Uh, now, Kiefer Sutherland, as you mentioned, is in the movie. He takes the role of one of the villains, uh, for instance. Um, now, you know me, I'm a big John Boyega fan anyway. And, uh, and Jamie Foxx is absolutely having the time of his life in this. As you can hear in that clip, if you could point me to the Fiki Laboratory, I'd be out your atmosphere. <laughs> and I'm like that. That you just know that was that was. If that wasn't his audition for this, I'd be I'd be shocked because I'd have given him the role just on that line delivery alone. That's one of the line deliveries of the year. Like John Boyega doesn't get a single line that he gets to deliver with anywhere near that gusto. Jamie Foxx just having a blast. Um, yeah, really good all round for this. I, it's um, it's quite a faithful homage to the movies it's referencing. You look at them, there are things in there like, for instance, Superfly, a lot of seventies black exploitation. Uh, cinema as well it is kind of laboured in its pacing and its delivery much like those films of that era were though so that's not really a fault of the film it's really in keeping with the film's its homage and if you look at for instance Black Dynamite which is the one I always go back to Black Dynamite which was that was more of a straight up spoof than you know, as this is a satire but even that in spoofing the movies it was had to do the labored pacing thing because you're not really being true to the genre you're referencing if you don't so as a result you don't quite get that wham bam quick cut energy of for instance something like Edgar Wright applies to his satirical takes on, for instance, the the more white zombie genre or the cop genre in the Cornetto trilogy. But I did find myself thinking of that reference point a fair bit as well. There's a little bit of that cadence to it at times. Um, I think it's a good time. This is on Netflix, of all things, uh, from today as well. So this is absolutely one worth checking out. See, they clone Tyrone, uh, Tyrone of Paris, Jamie Foxx, John Boyega, I think it's pretty damn good. I really liked it. A um, little bit, a little bit overlong, just over two hours, and you feel like they could have shaved maybe 15 to 20 off of it. But then again, that's kind of in keeping with the films it's referencing, because that was what you know film runtimes were like in the 70s, for instance. And there is a very obvious, like even visually, a 70s style to this. But... Again, like Barbie, there are just gags in here that will just have you absolutely rolling out of the chair in absolute hysterics. I thought it was a good time. Does it have plenty of kind of action scenes in it? Because it sounds to me and feels to me like it, it is a movie that's going to have some decent action bits. I, I will say there are there there are uh, plenties of flurries of pimp slaps in this, <laughs> and uh, a healthy dollop, healthy dollop of muzzle flare as well, most definitely. Amazing. Well, um, as you say, if you want to watch this, you don't even need to leave your house because yeah. it is a Netflix from today. Uh, so just search um, "They Cloned Tyrone" and you shall find. Um, so next week, then uh, week after next or next week. We're off. 
we're off. We're going to be off next week because there's there's naff all out yeah. next week. I mean, the only film that's been put out, I think, on the following is going to be the following Monday, and that's Paramount's new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Which, as much as I could talk about the Turtles for hours, I don't think we could really base an entire show around. So, yeah. Yeah, good point, good point. So the week after next, we'll be back uh, when we will look at Kokomo City. Yes, Kokomo City is on the docket. We've also got Paris Memories, uh, Just Super, a new animated, uh, sort of an animated superhero romp. Uh, the much acclaimed uh, uh, girl comedy Joyride is out that week as well. And most importantly of all, the sequel to the most important movie of 2018. I speak not of Avengers Infinity War, sir. No, no. And I speak not of Black Klansman. No, no. I speak of the movie that promised Jason Statham versus a giant shark, and by God did they deliver Jason Statham versus a giant shark. They had the man put a knife between his teeth, get in the water, and fight the damn shark. That's right, on August 4th, you and I, sir, are going to be talking about the Meg 2, colon, the trench. It's finally here. Cannot wait to hear about that one. I'm looking forward to that out of all of those that we've just discussed then. Uh, so that is all we have time for on Off Screen this week. We will see you in two weeks' time. Until then, I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. <laughs> <laughs>